Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 135. Week 135, volume 135, number fucking 135. Hey, on guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Martin of Terror, and that will be coming up later in the show. So as we always do, let's kick things off with a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. We've noticed a lot of shares going on this week on the social medias, so shout out to everyone that has been sharing the show. We also got a few messages, so shout out to Shano and Jack for the messages. Thank you guys for getting in touch. And thank you to everyone that's listening on the regular basis because we see the numbers, we notice the numbers, and we appreciate how much everyone loves the show. Not much else to say there, so let's kick into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Martin of Terror. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very fucking much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So Martin has been part of the band since 2006. He's been part of five albums, countless EPs, seven inches, and live albums. Martin is a legend of the hardcore riff, and without a doubt, a legend of the hardcore community. Now, for anyone listening who doesn't know who Terra is, well, first things first, shame on you. I really think our listeners should know this band without a doubt, but for those that maybe aren't aware, they formed in 2002, and to say these guys are iconic and idols in the hardcore game is probably a bit of an understatement, but they really are. They are my personal all-time favourite hardcore band, so to have Martin on the show is a big thing for me on the bucket list. It's a big moment for me, but it's also a big moment for the show, because now Martin has been on the show, we've had Vogel previously, and we had a previous member, Carl, who's now in First Blood, also on the show. So this is great. I loved every minute of this conversation. Very relaxed, very free-flowing, and highly enjoyable. That chat with Martin is coming up now. So everyone gets the same start-off question, which is kind of, do you remember an artist or a musician when you were young that kind of opened your world to music being in existence. For me, at about the age of five, it was Aerosmith for some reason. I don't know why, but was there a right. band Was there a band for you growing up that you were shown that you became obsessed with as a kid? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, you know you, I'm sure it was the same for you. It's like you grow up hearing what, whatever your parents were playing in the house. And uh, for, for me growing up, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of Hendrix, uh, but then like a lot of non-guitar music, like a lot of R&B, Otis Redding. And um, my father was a huge fan of jazz music. Uh, so Miles Davis was played a lot, Thelonious Monk. So I would listen to all of that and enjoy it. But I remember the first time that I actually ha- felt like I had my own musical taste was uh, Tears for Fears. Ooh. And uh, I remember my brother and I, who's two years older than me, I wouldn't remember what age I was, but it had to have been around the time when this, uh, when the song shout was like uh, a single of theirs. And we had uh, a seven inch single of that song. 
and would play it on our Fisher Price record player, which I still own to this day. And um, yeah, I don't even remember. I can't remember buying it, like where it came from or anything, but I do remember having it in we shared a room so it was like our record that we had in our bedroom and that was like the first thing that i would listen to that over and over and then uh and then as time went on like uh, allison chains was like my first band that i was fully obsessed with and had to know everything about and buy all their records and would listen to constantly so i mean was your you know musical discovery as you said you know a lot of it was what you were shown or what was like on the radio or on tv but i mean how did you yeah we're, we're basically the same age bracket so i mean how did you learn to discover and find music at a young age was it literally you'd find one artist and then do the inlay trick or was it the magazine trick what was your thing everything i mean yeah it was the inlay the magazine uh so being in la it was lucky to have a lot of a lot of cool record stores that were close enough to to visit often and so with you know in those record stores there would always be a lot of cool zines and free magazines maximum rock and roll and stuff like that but uh mostly it was like you know pull out the liner notes and and read stuff or look at a photo of a band and see what t-shirt what band was on their t-shirt or whatever but um what kicked me off into the whole underground music scene was the radio though. We have a, a local station called K rock and they play all the, you know, just all the rock stuff. I, I don't know what they play now, but back in the early nineties, it was alternative rock. And, uh, there was a guy on there who would play kind of local stuff sometimes and bad religion got played on the radio. And that was kind of the, that was the segue for punk for, for me and my brother was it started on the radio which is crazy because that i feel like that doesn't really happen today but uh yeah from bad religion it was like buy their records and then just check out what bands were in their thanks list and and then get cds from uh compilation cds like punkorama and stuff like that back in the day and um yeah just kind of paying attention to everything since internet access i don't even think I don't know, maybe the internet existed at that time, but I definitely didn't have it. So it was all manual labor to <laughs> to figure out, you know, what, what to buy next. And uh, there was a lot of uh, miss, swing and a miss back then where I feel like I bought stuff and then you take it home and listen to it and you're like, shit, I don't think I like this. <laughs> I remember but too that, late. <laughs> yeah. The, I yeah. mean, I remember that as well. Some listeners of the younger generation mightn't understand this, but you'd buy a CD and you'd take it home without really knowing what the album was about. And then you'd listen to it. And in a way you'd force yourself to get into it. You mightn't yeah. like it at first, but you're like, I just spent all this money on this. I've got to like money. this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what about that kind of music drew you in, though? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, there's a mass amount of population that hate anything that's kind of hardcore, heavy metal. They don't get into it. So what drew you into that kind of music? Uh, for Bad Religion to start off, I mean, <clears throat> it's such a perfect entry band for someone like me because uh, I loved how it there was still melody to it. And that's what really sucked me in was that it was it was aggressive but melodic at the same time. And I think that's kind of a theme within punk in, in California. You know, you see that kind of thing a lot. And uh, I'm not sure what it is that makes melodic punk from California 
so prominent, but it's something that I loved as a kid, you know, and Pennywise and all that, all that like fat record stuff, like, uh, and everything like no effects, Pennywise, uh, Ignite who, you know, wasn't punk, but you know, they kind of fit into that whole scene, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it was just, that's rancid. Like that stuff just suckered me in because I'm a sucker for melody. And then from there, I just developed, I don't know, I just kind of broadened my horizons and then it just started to get more and more aggressive and more and more uh, politically driven, more of a message. And I started getting, we started getting into like a lot of anarcho-punk and we discovered crass and stuff like that and conflict and then dove deep into the, you know, the punks that wear the butt flaps and patches and, and then from there got into like a lot of crusty stuff and D beat and all that. Like it just kept getting more and more aggressive and more melodic or more metallic sounding. And then from there, that's, that was like my bridge into, into hardcore, which I didn't realize it was hardcore music at the time. I just thought it was a, just another form of punk. Yeah, I think you mentioned something in there which I definitely wanted to touch on. So it's like a perfect opportunity is, you know, the message, uh, you know, do you think the message back then that bands would incorporate in their music is still relevant today? Because I don't think enough bands do put a message in. There are bands that do, but, you know, I remember, like you said, you know, there was like Earth Crisis. There was all these bands that went out of their way to make sure there was a message. And nowadays it feels like some bands aren't willing to risk putting a message in their music. Right. Yeah. I totally, I totally see what you're saying. And, um, it's definitely still there. There's always going to be those bands with a message and they, they exist. And it's maybe it's just not at the forefront like it used to be. I feel like there was a time when that's really what defined what type of band you were because you could sound you could sound like anything but if the message was there like for example a band like ignite who by musical standards maybe somebody wouldn't immediately consider them to be a hardcore band but um the the values and the message that they were spreading fit in within the you know the constructs of the the hardcore universe so they they are a hardcore band you know but um yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe over time it became more of a defined by the sound mm-hmm. versus the, the, the morals and the message and whatever. But it's definitely still there. You just I feel like maybe you just have to search for it a little a little more than you used to. Yeah, I, I agree. There are bands there, but they're not as prominent. Um, right, right. Yeah. So let's you know, obviously in Terry, you're known for playing a guitar. So when right. when did musical instruments become part of your world? Like, w- was there a certain age? Was there a certain thing that clicked in you that made you? Oh yeah, Ooh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So when I was, you know, I was in. Uh, uh, yeah. So I don't know if you guys call it the same thing, but it was elementary school for me, which is like. Uh, no, is it elementary? No, I was in uh, junior high, middle school, which is like sixth grade through eighth grade and that's right you know right before high school so I was in I was in junior high and uh that's when we really like dove headfirst into the underground and punk music and stuff like that and so I immediately picked up on that DIY attitude and how 
it just it was pretty obvious that a lot of the people making these songs didn't necessarily know how to play their instruments that well. And uh, it was more that they, they weren't musicians making music. They were punks who had a message they wanted to spread. And the best way they could do that was through music. So they just picked up the instrument regardless of whether or not they were good at it. And so that was like me. I saw that and I was like, wow, like I can, I can do this too. So I had, thank God I had, um, you know, supportive parents who I told them I wanted to start playing music and have a band. And my father took me to a pawn shop and uh, I got a bass guitar first. And I think I was in uh, eighth grade when that happened. Mm. And so I just took it home and just like started playing it. I just listened to songs that I I liked that sound sounded easy enough to play. Like I was really, I listened to a lot of the Misfits and uh, I would just kind of mimic what I heard on the tape and started learning songs that way. And that's how I learned how to play an instrument was just mimicking other songs. And then after a, a couple of years of playing bass and starting a few band, local bands that played backyard parties and shit like that. Um, then I, then I started playing the guitar. A friend, a friend of mine, had a guitar in his bedroom and me and my brother used to walk up to his house and hang out at his house. And I would just go into his room and fool around on the guitar and learn. That's how I learned how to play the guitar was just sitting in a bedroom. And then, then I got my own guitar and I would just, yeah, I would just sit at home and listen to anything I could and try to mimic it. And, um, when I started getting, I guess, better, like good enough, uh, I started just challenging myself, listening to harder things. And, uh, Earth Crisis Destroy the Machines had just come out when mm. I was in high school. And so that's what really like that was the record that like challenged my playing. So I would just sit at home after school and dissect every song and learn how to play it. And um, yeah, that's how it all kicked off for me. That's a really organic way of learning as well, because, you know, you're learning you know, what you want to learn. You know, a lot of people that get lessons, they're forced down a path. They're like, you need to learn this Chili Pepper song. You need to learn this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's a clear difference. Like, I, I would never, I never considered myself to be like a, a good guitar player. I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a musician at all. It's just like, I just wanted to be a part of, you know, the punk scene and the hardcore scene. And I had something to say and had a message. I wanted to be a part of, giving back to the to the community and stuff and whether it be being in a band or whatever and i felt like that was my my way to give back was to to make music and so that you know i wasn't a musician who started a band because i could play i was a dude who wanted to have a band so i forced myself to play <laughs> what about um what about your you know high school years or the last few years of school um were you only obsessed with music or were you looking at other career paths because a lot of people listening will understand and probably recognize the thing in high school where they're told they need their path set out they you know apparently need to know what they're going to do I mean what did you think in your last years of the school were oh you man yeah do? I was definitely music obsessed it was it took up most of my time whether it be going to shows or I, you know I made a zine my senior year of high school and back then that was super hard because I didn't have a computer to use. And so I was like cutting, pasting stuff, that kind of shit. And like, 
So or go or just like taking trips to the record store and buying new music that was coming out, just kind of paying attention to everything. But I and having bands, but I never saw it as a, a career choice. So at that time in my life, I don't even know. In, you know, in the late 90s, I guess some hardcore bands were were touring as a career. But in my mind, in my world, I didn't even think that was possible. So it was never even on my mind like I had I was just living my life like normal you know I went to school graduated high school and thought about things I wanted to do for a career but music was absolutely never that and uh I just I I always saw it as a hobby and I still do still do to this day even though it, it takes up most of my time and it's like I guess it could be viewed as a career but um yeah it was never it was never a decision I made to do. It just kind of happened. So yeah, I, 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 I had a career when I was younger. I got out of high school, had a couple of jobs here and there for a couple of years, was still doing bands and playing music a lot and being involved. And then I got a job as a, a veterinary technician and I was serious about that. I did that for several years and I was set in a career path. I loved my job and I was planning on doing that forever. And then my uh the first band i was in with my older brother that we actually had the opportunity to go on a a, a tour like a full u.s summer tour for probably like two months long i quit my job to do it and then i never looked back after that <laughs> well that it is just easy. happened it, it, it was never like a yeah it was just like a spur of the moment thing i was like you know i want to do this like i've put so much into this and i can't miss this opportunity to do this summer tour it's going to be the one of the greatest memories of my life so i just quit my job and did it and then somehow it just kept going from there well, that's one of those that's one of those risks or those rolls of the dice jump foot feet first yeah. you know kind of moments and that's probably a lot of what music is in the early aspects of any possible career putting it in brackets right absolutely yeah it seems it seems to be a little different now it seems that um a lot of bands kind of start with the intention of making it some sort of career because you see it happen. It's like a band has been a band for a year and they already have all this professional help and they have these major label releases immediately. And you know, they, all these cool people doing the artwork and they have a manager and a, and a booking agent and all this stuff all within this first year of be, being a band. And they're, you know, they're, they're touring the world already and, talking about numbers and record sales and how many people showed up to their shows and stuff. And to me, that wasn't something that even existed in my, in my brain until, you know, 10 years down the line of actually like playing in bands and doing stuff. Well, we're also talking about a time, you know, when, when you're talking, you know, in the end of your high school years, early years of, you know, terror kind of stuff. It was also a DIY thing. It was, you know, I'm not saying it's not there now, um, there is mm -hmm. still bands, but it was a, literally a thing of if you wanted to get to the next step, you needed to grind X, Y, and Z right. to get to the next step. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, what we're going through right now might kind of reset it back to that too because a lot of people who were in getting involved in underground music, making money off of it, they're not going to have that opportunity anymore, so they're just going to kind of dip out and do something else. So that help is not going to be there anymore. There's not going to be a, you know, this arsenal of booking agents and 
and and uh, and managers and stuff like that because music is in such a strange place currently, and it's going to be a lot harder for those people to make the money that they were making before. So it's I I feel personally that it might go back to those days of the only bands that are going to survive are the ones that you know really really give a shit and really want to do it. Yeah, I think you're right too. I think the um, the gritty t- bands, the the ones that really give a shit. You know, I'm not saying the other ones don't, but you know what I mean. True. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. They course, they will yeah. last through the difficulties. Um, right. You mentioned you know the local scene before, and you were doing a zine. What was your local scene like when you started going to shows? Was it pretty vibrant? Was there a lot of shows on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still it. Uh, well, I mean, not currently, but like up until this, you know, whole quarantine thing, it would, you know, L, I'm blessed to be a part of Los Angeles because being here for punk, any, any tor- sort of music, actually, it's great for everything. This is like a hub for music in general. So, uh, I was very blessed to, to be in this area and be a part of this scene because there was always people that were so motivated <clears throat> and there's a lot of surrounding scenes that, uh, all contributed together to make like one kind of giant Southern California scene. You know, there's Los Angeles, Orange County, there's the Inland Empire, there's San Diego, the Bay Area is not too far away. So it's like everyone kind of came together and <clears throat> each each area had their people that really did so much for for everything, whether it be finding a building to have a venue in or having a label or just being the local contact to book a show. And then, and then on top of that, you have every band from those areas that were the local band that would play with the touring band to get people to come to the show. And yeah, so I was, uh, we were lucky to have that and we took full advantage of that. And man, shows were happening multiple times a week and, when we were younger, you know, I was probably like 13 or 14. And so my brother's a couple years older than me. And uh, he had his driver's license at a very young age, like 15 and a half, 16 years old. And uh, a family friend gave him a free car, this like total piece of shit that, but it worked. So we would drive <laughs> everywhere, like twice a week going to shows, you know, driving to Corona for the showcase, which is like an hour away or going six hours up north to Berkeley just for the night to see a show driving two hours to San Diego, even, even going out of state sometimes going to Arizona and Texas and things like that. So yeah, we definitely, it was, it it was vibrant as a young kid and it continued on that path. And, and, you know, I, I did everything I could to help keep it that way. Did you have many, you know, in, you know, in Australia, it's probably a bit different because we are, you know, very much more of a smaller pond. But did right. you have bands that you could look at that were local that I wouldn't say make were making it, but were showing that there was a path that music could be something that you could pursue with? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like uh, once once the like 2000s came around, um Orange County really like stepped up a lot and there was a lot of bands from there that um they actually they, a lot of bands from Orange County went to Australia way before most other bands did you know like Throwdown and bands like Throwdown and 18 Visions and uh Bleeding Through they started as the local bands around here you know just 30 minutes away in Orange County and they all kind of went on to do a lot you know they 
they really took their music serious and were able to tour the world and do a lot of crazy shit. But they were also the bands that when they were younger here in like 99 and stuff like that, they were the guys who they all got together and they were the ones pumping out zines like collectively they were you know there was always a couple of labels involved with them and they were always putting out demos and new bands and starting new bands and booking their own shows they even did shows in like one of one of them had an apartment and they used to do shows inside the apartment like yeah they just they really like just took initiative and did a lot and like those are those are bands that i've i've seen over the years kind of get um people speak about them like like they weren't much and they like to talk a lot of shit about them because of the individuality that they express you know they were a lot different than what what people the idea that people had of what hardcore was you know they looked a lot different and dressed differently sounded differently and whatever but they were like so active and so like they were beneficial for southern california hardcore and it you know i i have like a soft spot for those bands always well i'll go to battle i'll go to battle that anyone shit talks throwdown because i think they're a band that <laughs> fucking yeah. that that band alone out of those ones you mentioned just i think they copped yeah, they made some career moves in the end of their, you know, time that I think people can maybe argue about, but you cannot argue mm. any of that early stuff. They're a band that, you know, haters need yeah. to stop hating. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that's like a band that I have a special place for because I 100% was the guy like around at their first few shows and bought the demo tape, have the demo tape in my house to this day and like just really was excited to go see them play every show that they played. And like I said, they were like the local band that had a ton of friends that supported them. So if there was a touring band, like I would see them play with, like, I, I don't know if this is correct, but like, for example, it would be like 25 to life or something would be touring through California from New York and Throwdown dudes would book the show, put Throwdown on the show, and then all the friends would come to the show. So then, like, that was beneficial for everyone. It was great for 25 to Life because they have this awesome show, you know, 3,000 miles across the country, and, and everyone's, you know, everyone's experiencing something. And, you know, it's just, it, just, it just was beneficial for everyone. And, and they were a band that really did that well, in my opinion. <clears throat> um, you mentioned earlier there was a few bands, you know, in the early days, and I know one was Donnybrook. It was one of the early ones. Yeah, um, yeah. So what was your experiences like that you were gaining before you joined Terra? Was it literally a lot of it learning on the fly? Were you learning oh, things yeah. not to do, <laughs> learning things to do? What was your development like before you joined Terra? Yeah, so, yeah, it was definitely learning on the fly. We we had no no experience when it came to touring, really. You know, we had played shows that were far away, but never had been like, you know, on an actual tour before. So in 2004, that was the first time we actually booked, had a full U S tour booked, went into Canada for the first time. And we literally didn't know anything and it was pretty crazy, but we, we were all, <clears throat> all around the same age, all had this similar, similar upbringing with punk and hardcore. And, uh, we all lived close to each other. We're all from the same area in LA and, uh, 
friends in high school and shit like that just started a band and uh we were all working normal jobs and saved up money and bought a van <clears throat> bought a trailer kind of had equipment but not really had to borrow a lot of stuff and we just hit the road and like it was I was so dumb at that time that I didn't even realize you had to change guitar strings you know like that's how <laughs> unknowledgeable we were at the time you know we didn't understand that you had to show up to venues at a certain time and like just really really didn't know anything and just learned on the way that whole two months of tour really taught us a lot and then we just kind of kept going with it we just learned little by little every show was something new something we would learn we meet new bands and gain their experience and and then we had tours after that and like bands we would tour with would share wisdom with us and and then finally it came to a point where we we did go to we had a European tour and we went overseas with uh, with Tara before I was playing in the band and uh, this a band called Blacklisted from Philadelphia. <clears throat> and that was our first time we all shared a bus together because it's easier in Europe to do that. You can have it's legal. They have these like double decker buses where you can fit like 20 something people on it. <clears throat> so yeah every every tour that we did was a new experience and i learned something new so then by the time i joined terror it was like i did have a a sort of a grasp how to be a productive member in a band on a tour but then stepping into that role was even crazier because then i learned even twice as much shit you know like i thought i knew some things and then getting into that experience was like it was humbling, knocked me back down to square one, you know, and I had to learn a lot more. And I mean, I feel like I still am learning things to this day, you know, it'd be weird if I wasn't, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just constantly, uh, I'm constantly paying attention and constantly open to new ideas and learning things. And terror has playing with terror has, man, has shown me, shown me the world really. An interesting thing that you learned or you were trying to learn that I think some people don't adjust to before you join Terra is being a touring band because Terra, mm-hmm. without a doubt, are known, you guys are known as one of the hardest working bands that you'll go out and you still, no matter how much, you know, well known the name of the band is, you, you tour, you get out, you grind, you do a lot of shows, but right. not, not everyone can do, you know, the nonstop touring that you've done over your career is that something that was easy for you to adjust into or is it something that you've learned to adjust to when i first when i first joined it was easy i mean i i wanted nothing more than to just be on the road and see the world as much as i possibly could and that's exactly what we did and it was great it was a crazy time for me to join the band too because um a lot of new opportunities presented themselves like right in that era of the band and we got to we got to do these tours that I don't think anyone ever expected we would do. So I was going on tour with bands like Behemoth, you know, who was uh, one of my favorite bands ever. And, and I never in a million years thought that we would tour together. So things like that were happening and, I, you know, just going literally all over the world, you know, I, the, within the first few years of me being in the band is like, we went to Europe several times we went to Southeast Asia, like Korea and Singapore, Malaysia, like Indonesia, all these crazy places, Japan multiple times, came over to Australia, did sound wave tours, like playing shows with Alice in Chains and 
Iron Maiden and crazy shit like that. And uh, so that, you know, now it's been, I've been in the band for about 15 years now. So the first five years was just like mayhem for me. And it was, it was incredible. Then you start to be like, okay, well, I'm like missing a lot of things at home. And I kind of, I would like a break, but you'll never complain about that because you're still having these, every tour is a wonderful experience. And uh, just the idea that you can live by only being in a band is like something that I'll never, you know, never take for granted. So, you know, it's never like, uh, I don't know. I, I always appreciate it, even though as time went on and 15 years down the road, I, you know, I might complain about things here and there like, fuck, you know, here I am sitting in a van again when I'd love to be at home in my bed or something like that. But you know, whatever that shit doesn't, <laughs> that shit doesn't matter. Well, it's not not everyone, you know, you hear a lot of people and I've had people on the show say that they just got tired of missing life at home. And, you know, right. it's something I think some people understand. You are sacrificing um, all the other things that we take for granted that aren't a touring band. So that's, you know, the birthdays, the funerals. Yeah. You know, you know it, it's not easy. It, it definitely isn't. It's It's not easy, but at the same time, I feel that it's not something that I should be allowed to complain about. Like mm-hmm. I always put it into perspective this way where it's like, um, so I have a summer birthday, my birthday's in July and every summer since I've been in the band, we go to Europe for the summer because they have that season there where it's like nothing but shows, there's festivals every weekend. So we always go there for that. So I always am on the road for my birthday. And that's something that I, I guess technically I could complain about like, Oh, I want to be at home with my family and friends. It's like, but at the same time, I've been in so many different countries on my birthday and celebrated with, you know, friends from all over the world. And twice in my life, I've randomly been in Greece on my birthday. So it's like, you just kind of have to weigh, you know, weigh the pros and cons of it. And if I feel that when I do that properly, then I come to a place in the middle where I'm like, okay, it's, I'm okay with this. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend like I'm depressed that I'm not at home when my birthday comes, you know? Well, it's also, it's funny now, you know, the amount of bands now that maybe were saying they hated touring are now missing touring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, for one, am enjoying this break. I, I have a job, you know, so I'm like working from home Monday through Friday and uh, it makes it a lot easier for me to just not be at, not be on tour. And knowing that the only reason we're not on tour is because of what's going on, that makes it a lot easier too because like we literally can't do anything. So it's not like we're missing out on something. So, <clears throat> so it's easier for me, but I definitely do miss, you know, it's, it's summer now and I have social media and there's, you know, when I log into my social media, it always memories pop up, you know, it's like, Oh, Mm. you took the photo three years ago today. And it'll be all of us in Europe somewhere, you know, playing some cool festival with a bunch of friends and having a good time. And it's, I look at that and think, man, yeah, that's, I do miss that. That is great. And that's fun. But I also am enjoying just kind of spending some time at home and chilling with my mom and my brother and stuff. So. 
Yeah, it's not. I mean, there's the negatives, but there's the positives, as you said. Exactly. With everything, with everything, for sure. Now, I want to get into some terror stuff, um, you know, because every, everyone listening is like, oh, why don't you ask him about terror? Because, you know, we've got to do that. You know, you, you are yeah. <laughs> a member of terror. Now, when you initially joined um, around 2006-ish, um, terror yeah. was starting to already at this stage develop quite a quite a name within the scene. You know, there had been lowest of the low one of one with mm. the underdogs, and you came in just as um, always the hard always the hard way had yeah. been released. Did you come in with any nerves or pressure? Did you feel any expectations to deliver, or did you kind of come in just kind of going, "I'm going to own this"? Oh uh, yeah, I definitely just came in like I'm going to own this. <laughs> like I didn't, I, I didn't have to, I, I didn't feel that there was a lot of pressure, mainly because that record had already been recorded when I came into the band. So I missed a lot of the pressure that would have come onto me, you know, getting into the studio with them and recording and stuff. So it was like, I, I kind of got lucky and it allowed me to be a little more confident, but um, <clears throat> there was definitely still pressure for me because in, in my eyes, because um, the first show that I played with the band was in March of I think 2006 or five, one of the two, I don't know. And uh, it was New England Hardcore and Metal Fest. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that festival. Oh, yeah. I've got the DVD. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's a big, it's a big deal. So I came into the band, um, you know, joined, rehearsed maybe twice for sure, once, maybe twice. And uh, I guess they felt like I had it down good enough. You know, I had a set list ready and we went through all the songs and I had played them at home over and over again. So I, I felt like I was in a good place. But once once I stepped on the stage with them and like, you know, it was like the it was by far the biggest stage I had ever set foot on by that time. And uh, so there was this pressure of kind of terror is known for the live show and so stepping in stepping into those shoes to fill that i knew i had to you know be there for the band and like be a force and you know be part of the the machine that terror is and so i i did have nerves on that first show and i was nervous for sure stepping onto a massive stage seeing all the people in front of me more people than i had ever played for before but I don't know. I just said, fuck it and just did it anyways. And it worked <laughs> out. And and then from there we flew to Europe and I did this big tour with them over there. And it just, every day got, I just felt more and more part of the band and, um, it just kind of clicked. And so it wasn't, it wasn't too stressful. I mean, when you initially came in, were you just you know, coming in and then it was like, let's see how you go. Or were you told from the offset, you're part of the band? Oh man, that's a good question. I don't really remember. I th I'm pretty sure that it was like, you're part of the band because, because of the way the events went, it was like, spoke to them about it, rehearsed with them. They were like, yeah, this is good. We have these tours planned. Let's, <clears throat> let's go on tour. And then that first show, as soon as we were done playing, we walked outside of the venue and took a band photo and that photo is on the back of always the hard way. Okay. So I, I'm pretty sure it was like right away. It was kind of like, okay, you're going to do it full time. Like this is it. Yeah. So I think, I think that's how it went. And that, that album, you know, as you said, it was already written and 
recorded before you came in, that album really, yeah. you know, it kept the momentum going and it felt like you guys just didn't miss a beat. And then the album that, I mean, I've got a lot of mates that are Terror fans. It seems like it's the forgotten album. Seems like everyone, you know, ignores the album in the discography is The Damned and The Shamed. It kind of seems like it slips under the radar. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we uh, as a band, we've done these uh, podcast episodes lately, and um, each each episode so far, we've gone over specific records because each record was kind of like a a very defined era of the band, and uh, we did an episode for that record, and we talked about that a lot. How it was just it was just kind of the way things went. You know, it's like when you're a band who's so active and you put out consistently put records out not every record is going to be as impactful as the one before or after. And uh, I don't know what it was. I, I feel like maybe it was kind of the, the shift musically. There was like a lot of metal influence influences on that record that maybe people weren't ready to hear at that time. Um, Cause we were, we were doing a lot of uh, touring with metal bands and we were listening to a lot of like a lot of, thrash metal and just kind of like fast aggressive metal and that i feel like that shows shows up in the music whether it was intentionally or not but um yeah i think that was just that was just the time period um and a lot of people tell me now a lot of uh a lot of younger people that were around when that record came out they they say they uh revisit it and love it a lot more now than they did when it came out especially following always the hard way. There was like something very, uh, I don't know how to say it. It was just like a very, it was a very straight up hardcore record. And then the damn, the shame came along. It was just like, there was a lot of different influences on it and maybe it kind of threw people off or something. I, I, I never hated it. I liked it. You know, it, for, yeah, me too. <laughs> I always liked it too. I did, like. Well, I remember when all those demos were being made, and I, I was just like loving it. I'd be like, "Wow, these are like, these are so aggressive. I love these songs." And that was the first record for me that I actually went into the studio with the band and recorded, you know, recorded the guitars and stuff. So I, I'm biased, obviously, <laughs> but uh, but I can always still listen to those songs as an out from an outsider's perspective, and and I hear them, and I'm like, man, there's like some there's some serious shit on this record. Like it's incredible, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I think, uh, it just, it just went over people's, uh, some people's heads, uh, at the time. Well, I think it's also hard, you know, I think in any genre of music that you do, it, it's got to be hard to write an album because you're doing it for yourselves and fans, no matter what, are either going to say it's bad for this reason or it's bad for that reason. Yeah, some, some, <laughs> yeah. some fans say it sounds too much like the last one. Some fans yeah. say it sounds not enough like the last one. Um, it's just, you know, it's crazy. But a big thing with yeah. that album that I was very... The only thing about that album I ever thought was strange, and I want to ask how it came about, was you guys linked up with Century Media. Now, the reason I thought oh, that yeah. was strange was at the time... Yeah, it's a bit more different now, but Central Media was a metal label. There wasn't many hardcore yeah. bands. And then there you guys are, like the hardcore band on a metal label. Right. Yeah, that was uh, that was amazing for us, too, just to even be recognized by them. Well, for me, especially because most, uh, you know, a lot of my musical tastes 
fall in line with that label, especially their earlier releases. And um, so I was kind of blown away and like being label mates with a lot of cool bands. And um, I think it came from, from what I can remember of those times, it was, it really came about from being in Europe so much. And um, Century Media has a huge presence in Europe, way more than I feel, way more than they do here. And so, like I said, we were playing a lot of these festivals with metal bands and going on a lot of tours with metal bands. And I think that just kind of caught the attention of those people because we would go into these shows, onto these tours and just do what we do no matter what and play, play hard and aggressive and go fucking crazy and encourage the crowd to do the same regardless of what environment we were in. You know, we could, we, we could be in a, we played shows like with cannibal corpse in an arena with a giant barricade and nothing but metalheads. But I feel like they, they still appreciated that the, the energy we were putting out and the, and the, the aggressiveness of our show. And so I think just after doing that for a while, century media we just started talking with them and it just made sense you know like we started talking back and forth and they were excited and we were excited and then we just did it and it's they were also part of what you know i would consider a an album that has turned into pretty much the sweet spot and the cult favorite which is keepers of the faith um yeah yeah what was in the water when you guys were writing that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Like I said, the, the podcast that we do, we, we just finished one on just that record. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure we didn't put it out yet, but uh, yeah, we talk about that in detail about how the process of that coming about, it was just like this perfect storm of the, the lineup that we had, everyone that was in the band, it was like a fresh new lineup that we were all just so on the same page about everything uh, just about everything in general about everything to do with the band and and it and you know the way that the songs were being written then and we we did things that we had never done before where you know we had all these songs ready to go and then we got into a rehearsal studio with uh, our friend Chad who's who's like who's a he's in a band himself he's he plays the guitar in Newfound Glory mm-hmm. but he's like a you know a, old friend a, a old hardcore kid and um we got into a studio with him and he was he took the role as producer and we just like broke down every song and rewrote a lot of things and added things took things out moved things around and and it was pretty much like a job we would get into this uh rehearsal studio like eight hours a day for like a week or something like that just kind of what we felt like was perfecting these songs and then, so by the time we got into the studio, it was just like fully ready to go. And everyone was so confident with the songs and the recording process w- went well. And we just like really took initiative to kind of like promote the record ourselves where we did a lot of crazy things, you know, like I, you know, I got like a burner cell phone. So we had a, a, a hotline number and we just encouraged people to call us and talk to us and send us pictures, leave us messages, you know, like we made a blog where we would just put our ideas and thoughts and everything during the recording process, just talk about shit that we were into and records we were listening to. And, you know, we had, we had the album title probably like a year before even recording the record. 
and we promoted it before recording. So we were like so confident that this was the record title. We made the artwork and we just started like plastering it everywhere possible. And it was just like this. Yeah, it was all these all these like little things combined that went a long way. What feels like went a long way, you know, so it just yeah, it just all really came together well. And I feel like uh, the payoff of it. It shows that, like you said, it seems like a lot of people really do have like a special, they hold a special place inside them for that record and they still seem to appreciate it today. 10 years. This is a 10 year, 10 year anniversary. Yeah. I also think it was, you know, and it's funny saying it, I think it really took you guys to another plateau. And it's funny when I say that because I think already at that stage, Terra were one of the big names in the hardcore game at that time. You guys really were, you know, an established, in a way, saying headliner act in many ways. And then this okay. came out, and even if some people weren't sure of Terra, they knew Terra by the end of right. that touring cycle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, when you're, let's see, so that was 10 years ago, so that means at that time I was, I was, al- I was already almost 30 years old, and everyone in the band was kind of around that same age and we had been playing in bands for so long and terror had already been a band for so long. And, and I think it just really showed through that record that we weren't like, even to this day, we're still the same. It's like, we're not doing it because we have to like it. We're not doing it because it's mechanical. Like, Oh, we're just this band and we tour and we're going to write a record. It's like, I feel that it comes out in the music and the records that we're doing that we still give a shit about hardcore. Like we care, like we're a band, we tour. Yes. We're all of that. But before any of that, we're still just like hardcore kids that are in a band because we love hardcore and we're, and we're just blessed enough to be able to do it on a global scale. And I think it just kind of really shined through on that record and really, revitalized everyone you know revitalized us and made us feel so good about the position we were in and it made people who were listening to it feel like the authenticity of what we were trying to say you know like they really if anyone had been doubting like maybe we were turning into some band who was just using hardcore as a stepping stone to like reach some i don't know grand height fucking rock rock and roll band or i don't know whatever like maybe they they heard that and and uh you know changed their mind and solidified that we're just yeah we're just a hardcore band that has somehow been able to survive this long and and do a lot of cool shit i also think it was the time that i think people within hardcore realized how diehard the terror fan base was because as you said with all that earlier about the marketing and the imagery of the you know keepers of the faith and everything that was going on i think that's when everyone started to notice that a lot of people give a fuck about terror it's when that really started to (laughs) develop yeah yeah i hope so i mean it feels good yeah it seems like a lot of people like that term and that artwork it, it seems to have really resonated with a lot of people and still is you know, 10 years later, which is, it's pretty damn cool to be a part of something like that. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a cool feeling. Now without, you know, without skipping over the the next three releases, this leads me to a question I wanted to ask. So I'll ask it now. Um, in many ways in 2020, 
without blowing smoke up your ass, I think you can say Terra, <laughs> a, a legacy band that, you know, you speak to anyone that likes hardcore, they like Terra or they love <laughs> a certain Terra album. Um, it's, or they, or they can't stand us, or they're sick of. Well, us. or they're not, they're not willing to actually say they hate terror, so they just say, "Yeah, I like terror." <laughs> um, but with that, is that is that quite crazy to think that when you came in, terror were were developing, they had a bit of a name, and now you guys are up there with the Mad Balls, the Sick of It Alls, the Agnostic Fronts. Like you, terror is just a name that is so recognized and so loved nonstop. Yeah, it's hard for me. I, I I can I know I can speak for everyone in the band when I say this because um, we talk about this and and I you know I feel confident speaking for them that it's like we are we're self aware enough and we're humble enough that hearing things like that is it'll never not shock us. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's always crazy to hear that kind of thing and and uh, and see that people care about something that we're doing like that much to that we've affected that many people on a globe. You know, it's still small. It's still, this is still a hardcore thing and it's worldwide. Yes, it's worldwide, but it's still, you know, it's not Metallica or anything like that, but still it's a worldwide recognition to where it, it blows our minds always that, you know, like I said, that we can go to Korea or something, South Korea and, play a show there and have people come to the show and they know the lyrics and they're not just there because it's music. They're, they're there because they actually know who, who the band is and are willing to pay their money to see us play and buy the records and whatever, whatever. And like, and that's, um, yeah, it's definitely something that's continually shocking for me 15 years later. And for, you know, for, I'm sure for Scott and Nick, what, 20 20 years 18 yeah i don't know how old the band is at this point <clears throat> well it's, it's it is but yeah it is crazy as you said you know not a lot of bands can say that they can go to the outreaches of the world to play shows um and do them well you know a lot of bands can say yeah. oh we went to indonesia and played some shows but they've gone to indonesia and only played to 40 people um <laughs> it's there is a big difference in the kind of things which, that you guys do which is still i mean that that's still amazing to to go anywhere mm -hmm. outside of your you know outside of your local scene is is pretty fucking cool i know i know it gets like it's kind of just like run of the mill now at this point like bands tour bands tour everywhere but it's still pretty amazing to think that someone is willing to like put your band in the venue even in a city in the next state over and then on top of that you know thousands of miles away in a different country where hardcore you're not even sure if hardcore even exists so it's like it's mind-blowing 40 people in indonesia would be is still just like wow like holy shit we played we played in indonesia that's that's insane you know but you're also but, you're also the kind of band that people know the you know you mentioned it earlier about the live show you, you the show is a is just a show. You know when you turn up, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be mayhem. It's going to be something you remember, no matter how many times you've seen Terror Live. You know that you guys turn up and do it, um, which is right. also another you know tip of your cap because you guys don't phone it in. I'm sure there's moments right, where yeah. you come out on stage and you're like, oh fuck, I'm tired, but <laughs> I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, those are those times are bound to happen, but it's like it's like once you get up there and you start playing and you start, you know, you're feeding off not only the energy of the crowd, but the energy of each other, like in the band, you know, once, you know, we've done this so many times together. And if one of us feels bad or is lacking or sick or something, whatever, it's like, there's just something between us all. Like there's a, there's a chemistry, a good enough chemistry there that, you know, we'll, we'll all pull through it and, and still have a good time and still do our best. And, um, yeah, that's something that I'll always, <clears throat> always be aware of and always, uh, do my best to just like give it all because why not, you know, what else, <laughs> like, why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, people are there to participate and, uh, and they're, they've taken time out of their, like, you know, they, it's like, it's kind of a cheesy saying, but it's like, they could be anywhere else in the world, but they're there mm. with you. And that, like, that's, that means a lot. And uh, I think that's something that's very special and needs to needs to always be recognized. I mean, what what's it like being being on stage with a band that has the vogalisms going on about you know <laughs> stage dives, but then also playing a show and expecting to get like accidentally shoulder bumped by a random dude that's come to stage dive. <laughs> I mean, that's just gonna. It's going to happen regardless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all those things are amazing. And, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I just, uh, I'm like so appreciative that, you know, we're still able to do it, how we're doing it. Oh, I love it, man. And, um, yeah, before we, uh, one last thing before we touch on the last couple of releases, which I've got to talk about is one thing I think you guys have done nowadays, which I think shows, adaptability and shows that you guys haven't got an ego is that you guys don't mind where on the bill you sit you know you're doing or you did before the covid hit you were doing shows where you weren't necessarily the headliner you know you were in the middle of the pack some shows you'd be headliner you've got that adjustability because you know that at the end of the day you're still there to put on a performance and in a way you're helping the scene because you're going to bring in the older heads that maybe don't know the younger bands, it kind of, it pays back to the scene. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree with you. And I mean, that's exactly the mentality that we have when we're, when we're doing these things. It's like, uh, we, it just doesn't really, you know, it doesn't affect us in that way. Like being a, a certain slot on a, on a tour doesn't, uh, it doesn't have that negative effect that it could have on some other bands. It's like, I just don't. Yeah, it's it's totally fine. And it's a, a great every time that we've done it, it's been a great experience and it's worked out well for everybody. And I'm like appreciative of the bands that have been like younger bands like, um, well, I, you know, it's crazy. I mentioned a band like Stick to Your Guns and I call them a younger band. In reality, they're not really a younger band. They've actually been around for a fucking long time. But um, they've you know, they've taken us on tour before we've taken them on tour before and no one gives a shit you know, there's no egos, there's none of that. And, uh, it's all good for everybody. And like you said, it's like, a that, that kind of like cross pollinates with different crowds of people and it works out well for everybody. And, um, yeah, as long as you're not, uh, screwing yourself in any way. And I don't know, I'm sure there's some situations where it could be a bad move to, to take a tour like whether it be if you're 
a band with a bunch of grown up people who, you know, need to take time out of their lives to go on a tour. Maybe it's not the best to like open up for such and such band or something like that, you know, but it, it should never be about the ego of like, uh, you know, what I can't be seen on a, <laughs> on a flyer below that band or mm. whatever, you know, never, never something about that. Sometimes it just won't work out and for other reasons, but you know, it should never be about the ego. Now two, two albums, well, you know, two of the albums after uh, Keepers of the Faith were two that I think were really important in the, they were fast, gritty, DIY sounding hardcore albums were Live by the Code and The 25th Hour. Um, <laughs> where were they for you looking back in reception and reaction to what you guys had been already imprinting on the scene? Because these albums... I love them. They came at the right time. There's, you know, it felt like you guys could have gone in a certain direction, but it felt like you guys stripped back a bit. It felt real gritty, as I said. Fucking outstanding album. So where was it? Thank you, thank you. Where was it in the band's transition, and did you always want to go that way? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, sometimes it, it gets hard to, to, uh, to think back and draw on all the memories that, that I have of certain eras because there's, there's been so much experience with this band, but, um, uh, I feel that in the end, each record that the band has put out has always been intentional. You know, it's like something that this, this is, we, this is what we feel we are. And uh, this is the music that we like, and this is what we want to hear as a band, and that's what comes out in the end, you know. And so, that's just how that's a ref- each re- each one of those records is a reflection of who we were, you know, at that time period. And and the twenty fifth hour and um, and uh, live by the code is it, yeah, it's just exactly that. Like we just felt like after after the keepers of the faith came out and that was what it was it was like okay now we're touring for a while and writing songs and viewing the world and having our own opinions on on what's going on with everything and then those 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 two records came up they were birthed after that and uh you know i do uh i do feel that it was intentional yeah like the um, the more raw a more raw sound after keepers of the faith came out with a more uh kind of i don't want to use the word polished because that doesn't i don't know i don't feel like that captures what it was but uh but yeah uh that that raw sound on those other two records was definitely intentional i would say and then you guys the most recent one which feels like it was another hit sweet spots not the 25th hour and live by the code didn't hit sweet spots because they did they hit Mm -hmm. sweet spots as our intended but total retaliation you know, Will Putney came in. That must have been an interesting decision. Why Why Putney? He wasn't probably what everyone thought you were going to do, but he did <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, which is, uh, it's cool for us that we've been around for so long and put out enough records that um, we feel comfortable trying different things like that. And uh, at this point, it's like, yeah, if you want to do something fresh and new for us, because we've done so many things, it's like you kind of have to, reach outside the box and i feel like we did it was like cool where it's not it's not so far away that it's like it doesn't make sense but 
it's you know outside of the box enough to where um we're drawing on different inspirations that are close enough to us that we feel comfortable using you know and like um working with him was like incredible it just like worked so well and that dude is a wizard with recording and he has a, like as from a producer standpoint he had a lot of cool ideas and and his studio is amazing and it just all felt really comfortable you know he has a, he has such an, a cool spot that you know you you live at the studio while you're recording and everything just kind of came came naturally i guess and and everyone was uh i don't know it was just a lot of aggression to go around and it and it came out in that record and um yeah it's 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 always uh you know you you hear when someone's in the band and they speak about the new record the new record is always going to be their favorite stuff because it's the new shit and they're always going to say oh yeah this is my favorite record so i feel i don't feel that i'm any different like this really is like that record is amazing and uh i love it a lot and i i, I personally listen to it and uh, you know, takes me back to some good memories. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a really cool one. With with writing uh, an album, I mean, that was your fifth involvement, seventh for the band, I think, seventh or eighth. You know, how do you stay motivated with writing? Um, because it's got to be difficult to keep motivated to keep putting out new music. Because um, you guys, right. at this stage of your career no one could say that terror is getting stale. Yes. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. That would, that would suck. Nick, uh, Nick Jett, our drummer, Nick, he's like the primary songwriter of the band and, um, which a lot of people don't know. So, uh, he takes care of most of the stressful part of, of, you know, writing, a writing a new record, but over time, over time with new members and stuff, uh, it changes here and there, you know, like now having Chris Linkovich in the band, he, he was always a main songwriter for bands that he was in previously, like uh, outbreak and uh, cruel hand. And then we've had Jordan in the band now for years who, you know, he was a main songwriter contributor to no warning. And so, uh, the, they take care of a lot, you know, it's like, Every every record, the way the songs are written is uh, always different. But um, when you have so many people putting putting in input and giving their opinions on this and that, it's like it's kind of impossible to get stale at that point. And then you know, and then you have the old always have Scott who writes songs by humming humming riffs into his phone notes and then sending it over to people and be <laughs> like, "Can we do this, this, and that?" You know. So it's like with a lot of different people contributing yeah it's just uh it ends up that there's a surplus of stuff and then you gotta you gotta kind of whittle it down to to something that can be put on the record where where is the band you know with everything that's gone on with the industry pausing you know total retaliation was 2018 but uh, you guys kind of didn't do the normal full cycle probably finished of touring on the back of it so if Let's say tomorrow they said, you know, um, touring can start again. Are you going to go back out and tour off the back of that? Or are you guys in the process of taking this time off to work on some new things? Like, where is the band now creatively going forward? So uh, if we could tour tomorrow, I'm sure that we would, because I don't think that we've ever really followed the the that, like, industry kind of standard of, 
touring cycles and stuff like that. So if we can tour and play shows, yeah, fuck it, we'll do it. But um, we're also at the same time, uh, there's there's a bunch of songs being written right now. Not not only because everyone's at home. I think it just would have naturally happened anyways. So um, yeah, like uh, we've been. Uh, only me, Scott, and Nick are the ones that live in LA. So uh, Nick has a studio uh, in the LA area with uh, with one of his friends, and so we've been meeting up there and um, going over some stuff. And you know, Jordan and Jordan and Chris will send songs over to us that they've recorded at home. It's so easy to do that now. You know, as long as you have a laptop, you can, you know program some fake drums and record some riffs and there you have a song you know pretty easily so so they're sending their stuff over and contributing and so it's in the very early stages of just getting a bunch of ideas together and figuring some things out and without any kind of like deadline or rush just like working on new stuff and uh, we've also we also recorded some things that uh, haven't come out yet like we did some some a couple cool cover songs that'll be out soon and uh yeah, I don't know. We're just kind of staying busy in a natural way, I feel like, without without pushing it too far just because we're at home without shows booked, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think right now we're still in a natural a natural state of creativity. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, now, like, I've got one last question, which is kind of a double question, and it's just something for someone like yourself who's – my age who's seen the industry in many different aspects different shapes different forms um where do you see the industry going forward do you think it's in a healthy state do you think it's in a confusing state let's ignore the covid thing um but just in general you know the streamings the physicals and then the second part is um how how do you think terror has lasted through all these trends and different ups and downs of the industry you guys are still there yeah so i'll start with that part i I feel like um for us like i said about the the the, you know the industry standard touring cycle like it's something that we never typically followed and i think that's that attitude and mentality is something that's helped us like not get caught up in any of that kind of stuff because we i feel like no matter how involved with the that world we might be uh, technically, you know, whether it be like us having booking agent and having a manager and all this kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, we, we are involved in that in some capacity, but I think we all still kind of view ourselves as, as outside of that, because no matter what, if, you know, like what's happening right now with where everything falls apart and no one has anything, it's like, we're going to continue to be a band without those things either way. So I don't want to, I don't want to discredit that every, any, anyone and everyone that helps us, you know, like our manager and everything like that, like they're all our friends and they're all amazing people and all do great work. But technically if tomorrow we had none of them, we would still do it ourselves. Hmm. So I think that kind of helps us push past any sort of, you know, downfall or shift in a trend or whatever whatever might happen it's because we just uh you know we don't we don't give a shit you know (laughs) we're like we're 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 terror and we don't really care about anything other than you know 
being playing hardcore music you know so that's all that matters to us and and we'll take we'll take everything that comes along with it you know if it comes but if we don't have it that's fine also you know we'll do it ourselves and um yeah i mean i feel like like i had mentioned earlier that's kind of the state of music right now is kind of forcing everyone to be that way either either do that either have that mentality or you're just not gonna exist because you know it's like streaming like live streaming that everyone's doing and stuff right now is it's cool and i think um you know i like i like i like seeing it happen but it's not like anyone is throwing a bunch of money at someone to make that happen people are making these things happen themselves Mm. so so when you see this happen, you see these streams that are happening and stuff currently, uh, that I, I, that's all coming from people who are just like saying fuck it and stepping up and making things happen because no one's throwing money around right now because no one's confident that they're going to make any money back on anything at the current moment. So <clears throat> yeah, I, um, I kind of like, I, I, I tip my hat to anyone who's do being productive musically in this time right now. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Well said, man. And yeah. spot on. Um, now we wrap things up with a bit of a silly segment. Everyone's okay. Everyone gets this segment. Um, your guest 135 and 134 before you have had the same segment. Um, okay. Including Mr. Vogel himself. Um, <laughs> All right. okay. So I give you two options. You pick your favorite of the two. Um, you don't need to justify your answer, but if you want to justify it, you can. Okay? Okay. Gotcha. All right. Pizza or burger? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, that would vary from, from day to day, but uh, right now I think I would say pizza because I haven't been able to uh, travel much and I'm missing uh, pizza, like worldwide pizza choices, you know, because I feel like, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that don't, don't agree with this. I don't even know if you will understand this, but we have in and out burger. And to me, that's the best burger on the planet. And I have it, I have access to it every single day of my life right now on the street. So I got that covered, but (laughs) right now I would kill someone to have a jets pizza from Detroit and we have that nowhere near here. So pizza for me okay uh ribs or brisket brisket 100 percent. yeah uh mostly because i don't uh i don't dine on swine so no no ribs for me but um brisket still is just always going to be my my go-to when it's when it comes to barbecue um a soft taco or a crunchy taco well yeah soft 100 percent because I don't know, crunchy taco. If you're, if you're talking crunchy, like from Taco Bell or Del Taco, like that, that's all fine. I like those and stuff. But, uh, you know, a, a proper soft taco on corn, corn tortillas, where it's at. What about chicken or beef? Uh, chicken, just because, uh, I don't know. I don't know why. I just, I, I feel like it might be me being uh, ignorant, but I feel like it's healthier. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, you know, my my wife and everyone thinks it's funny because if they ask me what I want for dinner, it's guaranteed to be chicken. Like you just, oh, really? with me, it's just not even a question. It's just like that. Yeah, you know, I do love both, but I mean, I will say that I'm also cutting down a lot on both mm. and trying to be, uh, I'm doing my best to be conscious and, and, uh, I'm moving towards neither. Ooh. Okay. Um, yeah. we've got a couple more food ones, uh, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter. This might blow your mind and maybe some other people's minds, but I don't even really eat peanut butter. Ooh, <laughs> so hey. I don't even know. I don't think I've ever bought a jar of peanut butter and ha- had it in my cupboard. <laughs> wow. Hey, that's not a bad thing though. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> just not that I don't like it or anything. It's not that I think it's gross or anything like that. I just, I don't know. I just, it's just not on my radar. Um, what about a c- cup of coffee or a cup of tea? Coffee for sure. Uh, because I'm a caffeine addict and the, the, the intake that I get from the coffee that I have makes me feel like a psycho. And I love that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, do you want a beer or whiskey? Oh man. Okay. So that's another one. That's like a tough one. Like if right now it's hot and I was doing some yard work earlier and a cold beer would 100% be better than some whiskey. But if I'm, you know, night out with the boys and I'm, I don't know if I'm in a bar or something like that, I'll probably have some whiskey. Okay. Um, do you want to have a meal out somewhere or do you want to have it at home? Uh, right now out because I haven't had it. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's not, it's not allowed at the moment really, you know, there's some exceptions here and there, but to be able to go somewhere with like, a nice big group of friends and eat out right now would be amazing. So I'd say out. Um, new movie comes out. Do you prefer to go to the cinema for it or do you prefer to wait to watch it at home? Oh no. Cinema for sure. Cinema theater. Yeah. I'll I'll go, I'll see anything in the movie theater over seeing it at home. I'll do both, you know, I'll watch it in the theater and then when it comes out, I'll watch it at home, but I will, uh, I love going to the movies. So, theater for sure what about um you get to go out when they actually let you out and you can spend the day at the beach or you can spend the day at the snow (laughs) beach snow (laughs) is a no-go for me i I don't uh i grew up in la so like snow is not really my style Mm -hmm. beach by by miles yeah what about are you a cat or a dog person oh yeah i've never okay so i'm through and through a cat person growing up i used to despise dogs then like i said earlier i started working at an animal hospital and then i started to understand dogs more so i don't hate them anymore by any means but i'm not one of those people that you know there's dog people that when there's a dog around they have to like freak out and talk (laughs) to it and pet pet it and all this stuff that's not me there are dogs that i've met that i've liked but i don't think i would ever have a dog myself but I, you know, I, I enjoy dogs now. Yeah. That person you're referring to, that's my wife. Yeah. See, I get it because I'm that way with cats. Every cat in the world is to me is an angel, best thing on earth. But, uh, yeah, dogs, I have to meet them. And if I mesh with their personality, then I do. If not, then I just ignore them. Well, actually, you know, my wife's that with any animal, 
You know, li- literally any animal. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. I, I, it's how we should be, I guess. You know, I, I do love animals in general, but uh, I, I love living with cats. I have a, I have a cat. I just adopted a cat a, a few months ago. So Ooh. I have a new guy with me. Um, okay, a couple of movie ones and then a couple of music ones and then we're done. Okay. Um, okay, Terminator 1 or Predator 1? Probably Predator. Yeah, I would say Predator 1, which not by far. Those are both amazing movies and I love them both. But uh, if, yeah, if I had the choice to watch one or the other right now, I'd say Predator. Okay, what about Rambo or Rocky? <sighs> Ooh, which Rambo? Uh, we're going to go First Blood, yeah. And okay, yeah, yeah, I'll probably take Rambo. Yeah, which, that's another one. Both pretty even, but I would watch Rambo. Okay, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. I, I, I don't know too much about Star Trek. Um, not that I don't like it, I just never watched it. But I will say there was those newer movies that... Uh, I don't know who did them, like J.J. Abrams or someone like that did these mm. newer version of Star Trek movies, and those I saw those in the theater. And I loved them. Uh, Freddy or Jason? Freddy. Okay. Just because, uh, yeah, I like the, I like the goofiness of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I guess, I guess, Jason movies got pretty uh, goofy towards the end too. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'll just I'll take Jason in that one. or Freddy. Uh, South Park or Simpsons? Oh man. Okay. That's a good one too. I love them both, but Simpsons in its prime cannot be beat like the, I don't know, like around starting like season five, maybe or something like that. Like peak, peak Simpsons is, uh, yeah. Untouchable. Uh, Anchorman or Step Brothers? Damn. You got some good ones here. Uh, oh man. I think. I think Anchorman by a hair. Okay. I love both of those so much, but I think, yeah, I think I'll, I think Anchorman wins that one. Okay. Now the next one, now this one is the biggest tongue in cheek of all of them. And I always put this in there depending on the age of people. And I'm not saying you're old uh-huh. because you're the same age as me. <laughs> I'm old. So you might, you'll get, you'll, you should understand both of these references. Um, who do you want to save you? Is it going to be MacGyver or Walker, Texas Ranger? Oh, I'll go MacGyver <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because I, you know, his, uh, his innovation is just very cool and interesting. So I, yeah, I'd take MacGyver. Just give him a paper clip and he can do anything. Right? Yeah, I'll do anything. Yeah. I'll mm-hmm. save the day with just that. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. A couple of music ones. And okay. So usually a bit of, uh, Revelation here is usually the choice is Terra or Madball is usually the the <laughs> choice. Okay. Mad. So for you, it's going to be Agnostic Front or Madball. Oh man! So I I'll choose I'll choose Madball only because in my my later years of developed taste, I, I would say I listen to Madball more. But I mean. I, I definitely discovered Agnostic Front first and, you know, was listening to them as a punk kid, you know, just thinking that it was more punk. And, you know, I saw them play at a young age and everything, and they had a huge impact on me. But just if I had to listen to one over the other right now, I would take Madball. 
Okay, what about Sick of It All or H2O? Sick of It All, yeah. Uh, the Simply because of uh, Scratch the Surface, like that, mm. that record, Sick of It All record is just like, It'll always be one of my uh, one of my all time favorites, and I discovered it from uh, Beavis and Butthead because uh, the song "Step Down," the video for that was on Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> oh yeah, fuck. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Cannibal Corpse. Lo- nothing but love for Black Dahlia Murder. We've toured with them before, and I we love those dudes. But uh, Cannibal Corpse is just yeah, undeniable. What about uh, Dimu or Behemoth? Ooh, uh, that you're just talking overall mm-hmm. or specific records or anything? Because <laughs> that's tough. I, I guess, I guess overall, I would, I would take uh, Behemoth just because of the, the, the impact that they had on me personally. Uh, at a specific time in my life and a lot so much that I learned from them, but, uh, there's some demo records that I would, t- I would listen to over, over behemoth, like early stuff, like, uh, puritanical misanthropic euphoria and, uh, yeah. uh, godless savage, godless savage garden. Is that what it's called? I <laughs> think that- like those two, those yeah. are like my go-to, uh, Demo records, but yeah, so I guess I would take Behemoth as an overall. Okay. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Uh, so that one's tough for me just because I don't really listen to either of them. <laughs> Ooh, that's <not laughs> Which a bad is crazy. Thing. Yeah, like uh, there are two bands that I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't even say this out loud. A lot of people give me shit for it, but I never liked them just because, like, the fans that were attached to them when I was mm-hmm. in high school were like the worst people on earth. Mm-hmm. So it, it like, and I was at that time I was like too punk and too hardcore to care, you know, about that kind of shit. So I developed this distaste for those bands simply based on the type of people that listen to them. <laughs> and, uh, and I, that's, I know that's stupid and I shouldn't do that and it sucks, but it made me not, not listen to them, you know, and not, uh, I never wanted to be involved in that kind of like pseudo Nazi world of music that for some reason they love those bands. It's fucking weird, but, um, but you know, they both have hard, hard riffs, undeniable riffs, but I just, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't even know who to choose <laughs> over those two. You, you know, what's quite, quite weird. Um, I would say funny because it's not funny, but what you experienced there in that country, I experienced here in this country, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was, the music was great, but the association with the band, what you saw in their fan bases and I was the same age, it was just like, nah, this is just, nah, I just can't accept this. (laughs) Just can't. Over, over time, then it kind of turned into a joke because when, you know, when I used to, if somebody, if I told someone that I didn't listen to Slayer or Pantera, the reaction that it would get would be so funny <laughs> that I just started saying it more because it was like this super provocative thing you could say. If you said like, yeah, I don't like Slayer, it would like 
make people's brains explode. They mm-hmm. just couldn't understand. So it became it became more of a, a joke than anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that reaction too. You say to someone, "I don't, I don't like Slayer," and they look at you like you just said, "I took a shit on your pillow." <laughs> yeah, and they're exactly. like, "What?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> they just can't believe it. Okay, we've got the last couple here. Um, now, this one's an obvious one, I think. Probably everyone should know what your answer is going to be. You're playing a show. Do you want mic grabs happening or stage dives happening? <laughs> stage dives, yeah. Okay. Very, very easy choice. But uh, I, hey, both are both are incredible, and I enjoy when both happen. As long as they don't grab my microphone and, and smash it into my teeth, which <laughs> happens a lot of times, uh, then yeah, it's it's all good. Um, you're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch from the pit or are you going to watch from the sound desk? Oh man, at this age, I'm watching from the sound desk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had my moment, oh, I had my decades, many, many years of, you know, watching, being in the pit and jumping off. Well, not, not so much jumping off stage. I was always a little too big for that. But uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I'll just get hurt now. So I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with all that shit. So I kind of stand, I'll be back at the bar. I'll still be there. I'll pay my money to get in. I'll buy a shirt, buy a record, but I'll be drinking a beer in the back. Um, Now, the next one, um, you need one to go with the other, but let's imagine you can only do one. Um, Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Uh, For the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess I would say record because... I'm not really into the idea of touring at the age of like 70 or something. So, <laughs> so yeah, but, yeah, but I would love to be 70 and have a little studio in my, mm. in a, in, in my house somewhere or something like that and just record some shit and put it out. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I guess I would say record. Okay. Last one. And it's the only triple one. I'm going to give you your all time favorite album. Do you want it on CD? Do you want it on vinyl or do you want it on your phone? Vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Give it. Give me everything on vinyl because getting it digitally is the easy part. So it's like I want. Uh, yeah, I try to have everything that I really, really love. I'm running out of room in my house, so I'm, I'm careful about what I buy on vinyl now. But uh, I want everything on vinyl. I wish I had every record I ever loved on record. That'd be amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, dude. First thing I gotta say, um, I'm really grateful, um, appreciative, and had a lot, a lot of love and respect for you. Uh, not only for taking the time out, but for just such a fun, enjoyable, relaxed conversation. Um, it flowed, and to be honest, it's that that can be rare, but it wasn't um, an issue chatting with you. It felt like we were just sitting, sitting down at the bar, having a drink. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for doing this and for making me feel comfortable like this. Yeah. It's goes both ways for sure. Thank you. Um, but, uh, everything you guys do, um, you've always got this guy in Brisbane who, uh, who sees you every time you tour, um, this country, uh, obsessed. Um, and again, thank you. Um, Next time you're in Australia, um, I'll hit you up. Let's catch up. Let's have a burger or something. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And shout out to Brisbane. Love Brisbane. Love against Greg ooh, yeah. and against and all those boys. And uh, yeah, uh, Mind Snares from Brisbane too, right? No, nah, they're Melbourne boys. 
Ah, oh, damn. Okay. But uh, they're good boys. Well, they're good boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brisbane's uh, Brisbane's the shit. Always been great for us, and uh, yeah, I love it there. So hell yeah. I'm just stoked that you had the time to give up for me, and uh, really appreciative of it, man. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you again. Um, and I'll I'll stay in touch and uh, much love. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I'll talk to you. All right, catch, man. All right, see ya. Everything we've been through 
So that was my chat with Martin of Terror. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Spirit of Sacrifice, which is from their most recent album titled Total Retaliation. The second track you heard is I'm Only Stronger, which is from the album Live by the Code. You also heard the track Never Alone, which is from the album The Damned, The Shamed. And the last track you heard was Keepers of the Faith from the album of the same name. So now's that part of the show, now's the moment of the show, where I spark that thing inside you to get out and support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoy that music, or if you enjoyed the conversation at the end there, get online, stream it, download it, crank it, deep dive into that extensive, sexy fucking terror discography. If you're into physicals, there is a lot of it online, make sure you get onto the band's website, or get on eBay, get yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you love getting a bit of merch, make sure you also get online and get yourself a hoodie, a shirt, or some moss shorts. Now, I also need to take this moment again to thank Martin again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the mosh zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you again in the future and doing a part two, but also look forward to hopefully you guys getting to Australia again. Let's catch up. Let's hang out. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 135. Done. Dusted. All wrapped up. Locked away for this week. 
Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pit.